Imagine knowing exactly what your students are learning and exactly which steps you need to take next. Join us in Down With The Reading Quiz to craft meaningful and productive formative assessments that move away from gotcha moments of basic recall and toward assessing what your students actually can do. In this 30-minute free masterclass, we'll share three powerful assessment keys that work for any novel at any time of the year. Head to shop.bravenewteaching.com slash masterclass to sign up, and we'll also send you a free workbook to keep track of all your notes. Once again, that's shop.bravenewteaching.com slash masterclass to nail formative assessments forever. Hey, Amanda. Hey, Marie. What are you up to later? Want to join me for happy hour? I'm all in. And guess what's amazing? Our listeners and friends of the podcast can also join us because Brave New Teaching Happy Hour has officially launched. Cheers. Cheers, everyone. We are officially hanging out a little bit longer after school with an extended extra private podcast feed just for you. Yes. Members of Happy Hour get extra 15 minutes of the podcast, give or take, because you know us, we run a little bit long. It's just kind of how we are. But if you would like to get in on this Happy Hour action, please join us. It is only $5 a month. Head to curriculumrehab.com slash happy hour and get yourself signed up because when you're there, Amanda, tell our friends what we do every month for our Happy Hour members. I think my favorite part is coming up with a new free resource for our listeners every month. And then we pretty much break down that resource and how to use it. We also like to have guests on to do extended episodes and even Q&A that's just for you about that resource. It's really exclusive and super private just for you. So if you are like us and you like hanging out, you like chit-chatting about all things that are teaching, teacher life, and everything under that umbrella, join us for happy hour and we will see you there. Bye. Bye. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to Brave New Teaching. Today, we are going to dive back into a little curriculum. Uh, We've spent the last couple of weeks talking about distance learning. If you're listening to this in real time, you know we've been talking about hybrid and virtual and all of those things and how to cope. And you know what? We are still trying to cope, but we're kind of sick of it. So we're ready to dive into some actual curriculum lessons, how we're teaching stuff. Specifically, we're going to be talking about America, America, and we're going to talk about America's story. And actually, my lovely friend, Amanda, you all know her well, is the one who came up with this essential question that we'll be dealing with today. And we're going to talk you through how each of us is teaching it. Hi, Amanda. Hey, 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 Marie. Hi, everybody. Yeah, you guys know we love a good essential question. And um, Marie and I happen to be overlapping right now in our classes. And it's really fun to be collaborating across the distance, I suppose. And uh, we're, we're both kind of tackling in our own ways with our own different students the question, what is America's story and who gets to tell it? And I think what's really cool about this question is framing America as a narrative, um, especially in English language arts. It makes it really perfect for our discipline and really a a good, it's worth studying it that way because kids are going to say, well, I already learned about this in history. Well, we're looking at it from a different perspective and that is America is a story and it's a narrative that we've told ourselves. We've learned as kids. Um, One of my students today, this is a great little anecdote. He said, you know, 
I feel like our teachers in elementary school lied to us about America. Oh, no. <laughs> and, I, and I said, I don't think anyone's trying to lie to you overly. <laughs> but, and I said, so we kind of got to the point where, you know, sometimes things need to be simplified and simplification or oversimplification in some cases can feel like purposeful omission. And so these are really cool just angles to start getting kids to talk about you know, founding fathers and documents and things that normally are as dry and horrible. Like I used to avoid this, like, like, I don't know. I, this has never been my favorite area, but like a good essential question can change that. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, like we're going to talk today about the declaration of independence and looking at it from a literary standpoint, we're going to talk about the bill of rights. We're going to talk about these things, which are as dry as the day, day is long. But when you plug them into something like adding to a narrative and adding to an interpretive narrative or a narrative that can be interpreted. You guys know what I mean? Um, it suddenly comes to life and students start to see themselves and their own family and their own, uh, like place in all of this in ways that I think was really like untouchable and far away from them before. At least that's how it felt to me in high school, learning about, our founding fathers and, and it was just very formulaic and everything was great. And then you kind of figure out like later on, you start learning a little bit of history, like everything wasn't great. It was okay for some people and really awful for mostly everybody else. Um, and you do get that like disillusioned feeling of like, I've been lied to. But I had a couple students, when we start getting into like what we were, what we are doing with our students in regards to this idea of America's story, I had a few students, um, not quite saying I feel like I've been lied to, but saying I can understand where they weren't ready to talk to us about this yet when we were eight. Yeah. And I was like, well, that is right. very adult of you. Cause I think, you know, I don't think I had the same reaction when I found out like the reality of history. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and it's, it's fun to kind of see their eyes light up because we are more so than ever living through such a, a, a volatile and polarizing time in our history. And I can't really think of anything I experienced at their age where I felt so involved and part of what was going on. I mean, 9-11 happened when I was in high school, but 9-11, I feel like was a singular event in that moment in time for a teenager. And then it was over. Like we weren't really processing all of the other things that were happening until much later. I mean, at least as a, I was a sophomore in high school. Yeah. So like, see, I see tragedy, but I don't really remember. I was a freshman in college. So yeah. I was of the age where I had friends that day enlisting, right? Like uh, barely 18, just got to the dorms. It's September. Our country is attacked. And so that has a very like foundational moment in my young adulthood. Well, really, let's call it late adolescence because you're still not an adult when you're 24, maybe. Um, but so like just even those few years that you and I have different, it's just such a different impact on like my adulthood, that event. Um, and so I do wonder exactly what 2020 especially will bring to our current students, to our teenagers right now. And I, I love that we're talking about this in a way that's very easily developed and translated into future classes because time keeps going and like, you know, obviously the news keeps developing every single hour, every single day. So this is going to be a lesson that we can teach over and over and over again. And the questions are going to get richer and there's going to be more and more we can do with it. 
That said, to actually give you a frame to what we're talking about today, guys, we are both talking through the essential question, what is America's story and who gets to tell it? Amanda is currently teaching it with her AP Lang 11th grade students. I am currently teaching this concept uh, with my regular gen ed 11th grade American lit students. And we're doing different things, but we're having similar conversations, which is really interesting. And I love that. So without any further ado, we're going to cue the music. listening to Brave New Teaching, a podcast for educators challenging the status quo. I'm Amanda, and I'm a high school English teacher in Illinois. And I'm Marie, and I'm also a high school English teacher in Southern California. We're so glad you're here. Enjoy the show. All right, everybody, we are really excited to talk to you about the stuff that we are currently teaching. Like what better time than to be talking about what it means to be American and the story of America than right now. And our students eat that stuff up. So (laughs) we wanted to talk you through actively what we're in the middle of. We haven't taught all the things we're going to talk to you about just yet because it's stuff we're coming up with as we go. Um, But I will say you're going to notice that we do a lot of text pairings in these units that we are teaching. And text pairing is going to be like the biggest strategy, I think, that we want to infuse into this episode. Because we are finding when you're talking about things like the voice of America, the story of America, there's so much there. There are so many different cultures that create what it is to be America. There's so many different stories. There are so many different timelines. There is no physical way to reach every single voice and every single story. And so pairing a diverse mix of texts and perspectives is going to be key here. So that's what you're going to hear about. And I love what Amanda's been doing. So she's going to start us out. Well, so yeah, we'll start off by talking about some of our upcoming uh, lessons. So just to give you guys a little bit of context, um, what I really want to talk to you guys about today is about the strategy and the back work that happens before anything happens in the classroom. So the strategy that Marie is talking about is this idea of pairing texts. If we want to build a classroom that is anti-biased, anti-racist, and truly representing the story of America, we have to consider that there are so many perspectives and voices that are, that are important in this conversation. And maybe that's not traditionally how it's been. Um, I can tell you right now, I have a list of texts that are required, a list of texts that are optional, and a whole lot of things that have been left off the list altogether. So my responsibility as the teacher, and I would encourage you guys who are listening, is to own that responsibility of curating texts that truly represent as much as we possibly can, right? We don't have infinity number of days to do these lessons, Um, but, but owning the fact that what you curate and what you put in front of kids is an argument. If you're gonna ask kids what the story of America is and you're gonna give them a specific set of texts, you're kind of already creating a funnel in which they're learning. So our our goal really is to provide a a wide variety, but also 
things that are accessible and, and really just kind of giving kids room to wrestle. So the, the strategy that Marie is talking about is one of the ways that we do that. So um, on my list of required texts is Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And if you guys have never read Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, um, it is a sermon. And this sermon is given in colonial times of America. And it's like, man, this thing is going to make you feel like you never want to go to hell. Like that's for sure. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's Puritan. <laughs> it is so Puritan. It's witch trials. Yeah. And, and I just want to read you guys one passage because this will kind of give you the, if you've never taught it or read it, this is what we're working with here. Okay. So this is a quote, right. From, from Edwards. And he's the, the one giving the sermon. And he says, your wickedness makes you as it were heavy as lead and to tend downward with great weight and pressure toward hell. And if God should let you go, you would immediately sink and swiftly descend and plunge into a bottomless gulf and your healthy constitution and your own care and prudence and best contrivance and all your righteousness would have no more influence to hold you up and keep you out of hell than a spider's web would have to stop a fallen rock. What was brunch like after he gave that sermon? They were like, okay, everyone. Oh, now let's meet to feast. Goodness. So horrifyingly beautiful. Uh, Yeah, I know. Very eloquent and so scary. And this goes on for pages. (laughs) It's so long. (laughs) I think think the YouTube video that I looked up, I mean, like they go as long as 50 minutes. I mean, it's a sermon, right? So, so what's, what's crazy about this text, right, is it is definitely a, a sneak peek into this time period in history. It's a primary source document. It's also a white male perspective. Okay. So, We've got gender, timeline, um, all of that kind of stuff, race involved in the speaker and even the audience of this particular message. So some of the things that, that Edwards is doing and what's worth reading it from a rhetorical analysis point of view are, are the ways in which he's actively manipulating his audience in order to achieve his goal, right? <laughs> which is to scare the hell out of you and you know, reinforce your Puritan ways. Right. And gain Um, compliance. Exactly. Exactly. And so when you back up, right, you you probably heard just from just that quote, the language is hard, like really hard and the length is hard. But when you're able to kind of step back and see what he's doing as a speaker with an audience and the skills that he's using as that speaker, all of a sudden we can now pair this with another text that also has a speaker and an audience and a specific goal in mind. And so really you could pair it with anything. And that's kind of the, the amazing thing about this strategy um, because whatever you put beside it, you're, the kids are going to draw different comparisons. They're going to have different observations. Um, things are going to stand out to them. So what I decided to do is I wanted to pair John Edwards, um, this, this sermon Um, which really has a lot to do with, right, like telling people how they need to be, how they need to behave, what needs to happen next, um, with the eulogy that Barack Obama just delivered um, for the the deceased John Lewis. Um, May he rest in peace. And um, what's crazy to me is is I watched both, well, I listened to the, the sinner's speech and I watched Obama's eulogy. Both speeches are delivered from a pulpit. Mm-hmm. Right. Context, significantly different. <laughs> speaker, 
significantly different, but both are directives in America's story, who we are, what needs to happen next and how we're going to be as people. So you heard the, you heard the one, that one tiny line from Edwards, here's one tiny line from Obama's speech, which of course, like, how do you pick? I mean, love him or hate him. This guy knows how to talk. Okay. Same with Edwards though. Right. Mm -hmm. I think most people hated him though. Um, but Obama, so he says here of, of John Lewis, he says, um, he knew that every single one of us, John Lewis, uh, has a God given power and that the fate of this democracy depends on how we use it. The democracy isn't automatic. It has to be nurtured. It has to be tended to. We have to work at it. And it's hard. And so he knew it depended on whether we summon a measure, just a measure of John's moral courage to question what's right and what's wrong and call things as they are. And of course, I could have picked another thousand pieces, right? But there's such a difference in tone. So uh -huh. now we're getting to um, where this comparison element becomes so powerful because your kids are not going to understand all of sinners, but they might understand that passage compared to this passage because they're going to see the differences. They're going to see the overlaps. And, and one of the things, the tools that I use and what I'm going to give you guys in the show notes today is a wait for it. It's really revolutionary. It's a Venn diagram. You guys, it's old, it's old school. My heavenly stars. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I want you guys all to like, this is too new for pull me. Over, pull over. <laughs> this is brave new teaching. This is brave new teaching. <laughs> um, what makes this Venn diagram so special and why I've used it for years and years. I, I think people think that a lot of teachers on Instagram are constantly doing things that are new and we are, but this is a tried and true. So this is, I believe it's a Chris strategy, um, but my Venn diagram is split. So like, you know, the two circles are overlapping, but then I have lines that go horizontally kind of cutting it into sections. And so it gives the kids a little bit more structure to hold on to with what they're comparing and contrasting. So the first line might be, okay, we're going to compare and contrast the speaker's attitude. The second thing we're going to compare and contrast is going to be the, the audience. Maybe the next thing we're going to look at is the um, use of figurative language. Um, and then maybe we're going to look at tone, like whatever those things might be. Again, now we're kind of cutting down on the burden of having to understand every single word in the speeches and closer to true analysis. Because I don't know about you, Marie, but my kids struggle to get to analysis because they get kind of stuck at the comprehension step. Well, yeah, it's the access to a lot of, um, especially, you know, if we're talking about America, early American pieces are so densely written. They're so, or densely spoken. The language was used so magnificently that it is very difficult for contemporary teenagers to access. Um, and I will say, before we even like move on, one really important part of this strategy of text pairings or Tri, tri pairing. I don't know what would you call that, <laughs> but putting texts side by side by side is that you ask the same questions yeah. about everything. So once you peel back the layers of comprehension and you make every set, every text accessible, that was hard to say, every text accessible for students. Then once we have the understanding, it's a matter of laying them side by side and asking the same questions for every single one so that 
students, like Amanda started to say, students will inherently start to draw connections and start to put the dots together, connect the little dots in ways that teachers don't have to spoon feed them. They will, that critical thinking and analytical compare and contrast starts to happen when it's all laid next to each other because that's what the human brain does. And we don't have to like push them on that or push that on them. Students will start to do that on their own. And we all know that discovery is the best type of learning. When we just give it to them, give it to them, give it to them, they go, uh-huh, 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 kind of memorize it, sort of work with it. When they discover on their own, true learning occurs. Absolutely. And I think that the, the coolest part about comparing contrast in this type of situation is when I give them something really hard next to something that's more manageable, Yes, kids start to see in the hard text what the speaker's not doing. Yes. Right? Because that, that, that's part of it too. And, and all of a sudden that starts to get narrowed down for them and, and it actually makes it a little bit easier because they know that this sermon is not what Obama's doing in his eulogy. They're not the same thing. There are going to be overlaps that they're going to find. But if Obama is doing this, then what is Edwards Then what doing? in the world is Edwards doing? Yeah, and it, it gets them a little closer. And so when you're, when you're stuck with whatever your early American text is that might, you know, maybe it's T-Pain and Common Sense or, you know, whatever other really tough primary. Are you trying to stuff. say Thomas Paine? And no, you I called said T-Pain. And you I called him T-Pain. Yeah. I was just, I just wanted to clarify for a second. I zoned and then I was like, what? Did you say early American T-Pain? <laughs> You put T-Pain next to a T-Pain song and you see what the uh-huh. T-Pain is. <laughs> you pair T-Pains. This is America because that actually would be a pretty awesome argument. Welcome to America. <laughs> um, what is up to, Marie? Well, so we've been looking, obviously, we have very different levels that we are teaching. And you have much more prescribed curriculum, given that it's AP, than I have. I have a lot that's like understood we should be doing and we've agreed as a team we're going to be doing. But given that nobody's in the same hallway even because we're all teaching from home and on my team, there's a lot of wiggle. And I haven't taught this class in like seven years. So I've just thrown it all out and I'm starting over. We are starting our American Lit course with this question, looking specifically the very first week we looked at the revolution. We looked at representations of the American Revolution. Is that necessarily when America began? No. But is that in most of my students' understanding of the foundation of our democracy? Absolutely. Therefore, I want to take what they know and build from there, right? So we're totally going to get earlier than the colonials. We're going to get to more places than we are. But I started them very, very simply with two texts. One text was the song My Shot from Broadway's Hamilton. We looked at a video recording of the stage play and they analyzed the lyrics. We also looked at a pretty dense essay written by a, uh, what am I trying to say? Politics and government professor. His name is T.H. Breen. He wrote an essay entitled The Slow Build Up to the American Revolution. It's so good. I made Marie send it to me. It's so yeah, good. It's really good. And I'm going to link all of these things in our show notes as well. And so we did a little diving into both texts. Obviously, looking at my shot from Hamilton was much more accessible. It's a song. It's written in rap and verse and it's performed so they could see people saying the things they were saying and infer a lot more meaning than they were able to do with an extremely dense 
professor's uh, essay, what I had students do, because I paired these together, I had them looking at tone. We called it the tone of revolution because I want to start informing the story of America by looking at the people who are talking about America and looking at their attitude towards talking about America and kind of take a step backwards so that students can see that it is very important to know where someone is coming from when they are giving you information because everything is interpreted. Um, so once we broke down my shot and looked at it to understand like the meaning, what's the sub, the same way I would look at any poem, right? Like who's the speaker? What is the subject? What are they saying about it? Um, then I asked students about both texts. What is the tone of this text to explain that in two to three complete sentences? And we did some work on tone and I gave them a whole word bank of different ways to describe tones so that they had a place to start. I should also note that for this, students were working in groups um, because it's early on in our year and I needed to have a little bit of scaffolding. So I very carefully chose their groups. Um, so what is the tone? Explain in two to three complete sentences. Find me at least three pieces of evidence in each text of that tone that like backs up what you're saying. And then I had them take it a step further and find a picture, like a, an image to represent whatever the tone is that they analyzed. And then a one to two sentence explanation of how that picture represents that tone. I just wanted them to like dive into it. So they had no problem with my shot. The slow build up to the American Revolution was very challenging. Uh, we had to like, it was one of those things that I thought was going to take a day. It took like two and a half and that's okay. <laughs> you know, I just had to like replan. If you guys follow me on Instagram, I've already talked about all this. Um, then I asked them this question. Think about what you have learned in school thus far about the American Revolution. How does the tone of either or both of these texts differ from what you've learned? How is it the same as your understanding of what it was like during the time of revolution? Collaborate as a group, respond in three to four complete sentences. That is what blew me away. They were struggling with the essay. They, it made them question everything they had said about the song because they were like, wait a minute, if we don't get the essay, maybe we really didn't get the song. Like kids were having a hard time as their groups. I got a lot of questions that were just like really anxious. And then I read their responses to what have you learned about the American Revolution this far? What has been backed up in what you've seen today? And what makes you go, wait a minute, that's not the same. And their answers were so insightful. And like, I went, okay we're getting somewhere. And so what we're going to do is take this work. That was the very beginning of this little mini unit. They have since looked at the Bill of Rights and looked at tone in the Bill of Rights. They have looked at uh, what is an American. And I keep forgetting who wrote that. It was a French immigrant in the colonial. Thank you. Um, they are going to be looking at an NPR student, like that student NPR competition that they do every year. There's a really good, one of the winners from, I think last year, I think from 2019, um, is a group of 11th grade girls talking about being first generation Americans and having immigrant parents and like living in both worlds. So they're going to be looking at a lot of different texts and there's like one or two more. Oh, we looked at um, poetry. I hear America singing next to I too which we're going to look at again later, but it was like a glossary. They're going to look at all these different texts that they've, they've analyzed over the last couple of weeks. And from there on a big chart, I'm asking them all the same questions about all of these texts that we've broken down and then coming up with their own thesis of what is America's story and who gets to tell it. 
Is it going to be hard? Yes. Do I have a lot more scaffolding that I need to put in place for them? Absolutely. But they're starting to get it and I'm seeing their little heads come alive and like, well, as much as I can through a Zoom square. But, um, but the beauty is I tried to find texts. This is by no way like a comprehensive list of texts that I'm using with my students, but it's at least a place to start. And I'm finding things that are early American and contemporary and somewhere in between. I'm trying to find varying cultures, varying uh, perspectives and voices. And I need to find more, but at least this was a place to start. And at some point they're going to be asked to go and find something they haven't heard from yet. So let me zoom you guys out from what Marie is talking about. There are, there are so many things happening in her plan and, and what's going to make them work, I think are two critical things. One, you heard her talk about, she already has a plan for the end. The yes. end is a synthesis question. And the kids are going to be coming up with some kind of claim or thesis that answers that question. The other thing she's doing is using an essential question to begin everything. And that question is the end goal. So the kids, no matter how much they're able to comprehend, no matter how many pages of reading they do, no matter how successful they are in A, B, C, or D text, there's going to be rich conversation about this question. There's going to be thoughtful discussion about this question. And there's going to be growth in your students and their skills other than reading in this scenario. Like ideally, and I know as English teachers, we want so badly for our kids to read and comprehend all of the things. But here's the reality. We really, I think at the end of the day, want more. Our kids to graduate our class being thoughtful, uh, informed citizens who can engage in discussion and writing and thinking that's informed by the reading. So if you're feeling kind of intimidated or like, wow, that's a lot of reading or yeah. how are you going to do all of that, you know, it's, you got, you got to kind of live. It is the first thing, but, but, but understanding that starting with a, an essential question and ending with answering that question and along the way, practicing the exact same skills over and over and over again helps students grow. And it's yeah. so amazing. I feel like, I mean, I saw Amanda's eyes kind of go, whoa, Marie, I didn't know you're going to go into all of that. I oh, didn't know I was going, I didn't know I was going to go into all of that either. I just wanted to like really show to you guys, our listeners that I'm doing a bajillion things with my regular gen ed, amazing kids, but it's not like we're not working. I'm not in a private school. There are 40 kids in the class. Like it's, I'm, I'm not doing anything that's completely out of reach. What I am doing is the same set of actions and skills that are being built with every single text as we go. Yes, every single individual text is going to have some different sorts of like comprehension unlayering that goes on. That's pretty stinking quick and pretty brief because these are short texts. They're designed to happen in a half a class period to a class period. And then we're going to spend the rest of this week and part of next week laying them all side by side and asking the same question over and over and over again once we have a glossary understanding of all of these different texts. So what I'm doing is I'm creating in my students and I'm reinforcing the skill that they can look at just about anything. Like I want them to see all of these things next to each other and say, wow, I looked at all of these, I understood all of these, and now I'm about to analyze all of these in the same way 
because we are never, like Amanda said, going to teach our students all of the texts. It's just not a thing. And we shouldn't be teaching them all of the things. We should be teaching them how to do it on their own. So that's what we're going for. And um, the pairing yeah. is the way to do it. it and, and you guys too, I'm going to, oh man, I am about to take, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reach here and say something that maybe at first you're going to go, okay, I'm not listening to this podcast anymore. Um, <laughs> this is, Marie is just, this is why we're friends. Okay. Like Marie and I found each other by accident. You guys, we didn't like grow up together and know all this. It just was, it was just serendipity. But what Marie is describing, especially at her level. Okay. So if you guys teach a co-taught class, you have special, um, you know, 504 students included in your classroom. You have permission to move quickly. Yes. Keeping things moving. Oh, I should so mention important. my classes are sped collabs. So I have a co-teacher and she and I absolutely teach together, but we have a very high percentage of sped population with gen ed population. It's still college credit or, you know, like college prep credit gen ed class. But I should mention that it's not like, I don't have any sort of like a crazy special population. I'm doing all of these things with kids that are just like your kids. Yeah. And there, and some of them are having a hard time. And so we back up a little bit. Like there's a lot of flexibility, but it, it's cool what they're getting out of it. And, and after this is what my 13th year of teaching, I, I watched new teachers fall into this really painful, like vortex of feeling like my kids don't get it. I need to spend longer on it. And I'm telling you, I don't know where it's researched. I know that I talked to Carol Jago about it when I met her. So I know that she's on board, <laughs> but <laughs> slowing down for every single thing can really be more damaging than it is helpful. And I just mean this from like a, a, a per perspective of like your curriculum. Yeah. You don't yeah. want to spend two weeks on sinners from the hands of the angry God. Like there, no, like, no, you need to get what you can get and move on to the next thing. Cause now Marie's kids, like she just said, are going to look back and say, I've read 45 texts. Hell yeah. I mean, not, not 45. <laughs> I, I was like, I don't know what I'm going to. That exposure <laughs> is, is so valid and important. And you know what? Those kids who struggled with text A are going to really get into text C or, or vice versa, whatever that is. So being able to offer that is so important. Don't feel like you have to keep digging. Well, it's and it's just the strategy too that I'm using is that, you know, they're not going to all have a deep dive into every single text and I'm cool with it. They've been exposed to every single text. They got some better than others. That's fine. Because at the end, what, what you're doing and what you're giving them is this opportunity for synthesis and for analysis. Like those two skills are so incredibly important and you're giving them the chance to do that with what you're putting in front of them. And to get back to like our big idea, like the whole idea of this episode is to teach America's story and to talk about like, you cannot, like we started saying at the beginning, you can't get to every single perspective it's physically impossible, but what we can do is start to build empathy and encourage that in our students by practicing critical thinking and synthesis. Oh my gosh, and synthesis skills. And and so so yes, showing our students and exposing them to varied perspectives that are extremely diverse is of the utmost importance. Right alongside that, though, is telling them what to do with it and teaching them how to do it on their own. Because if they can't do it on their own, then like we're only going to get so far. Like then they're doing great within the confines of our class, but then they go out into the world and they can't do it on their own. What was the point? Wah, wah. 
that's what we were just talking about today. So, so in, in AP Lang, um, things do move slower and we are doing sure. a bit of a deeper dive because my kids are, at, at, we're also a different course, right? So AP language is designed to be focused on understanding the way that argument works. And so I, I ask a lot of questions that I probably wouldn't ask your population. Um, and, and that's okay. It's okay to have two different ways of going about this question. Well, and if we're looking at it from a perspective of time, there are questions that I'll probably ask or like, you know, adjacent to asking in like six weeks. Totally. Because there are some different things that we're working on before we even get there. The kid that signs up for AP Lang is going to have a cursory understanding of rhetorical appeals of like all and 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 my students have that understanding but it's extremely shallow and so we want to get a deeper understanding of some of the stuff that your kids have come in with because they've been on the honors and ap track right so it's i i just love that we're able to teach the same idea in such completely different ways and still kind of get to the same results conceptually <laughs> so i i the only thing i would add to our conversation that we probably got to wrap things up for you guys because you're going to get where you're going to be and you need to turn us off but yeah um, you got to turn off the car soon <laughs> <laughs> a couple of other ideas for you depend depending on your population what you want to do um a couple things i've got down the line um i have some lessons planned in really looking at diction of this this question so when we think about america's story um, language. So kind of getting back to this idea of why study this in English language arts. Well, the language of America's story is very uh, divisive and very specific depending on the context. So, um, you know, right off the, the top, like one of the things that's going to come up this week, we're going to talk about why this, not that. So why protest, not riot? Those two words are conjuring up two very different connotated right, images, a look protester at you. and a rioter. Um, we're going to look at rebel and revolutionary, hmm. uh, patriot and loyalist. So these, this is a, so if you really want to pump the brakes <sighs> and we're, we're going to probably have two days of six words. <laughs> but that's cool. Cause once again, it, it, it forces a look at perspective. And we're actually going to be doing in my class a very similar lesson. Actually, I'm probably just going to steal Amanda's lesson if we're totally honest with ourselves. We're going to be looking at sinners in the hands of an angry God and uh, the Obama eulogy when we start looking at, I mean, chronologically a bit, but when we start looking at the crucible, I've got a whole unit later on in a couple, in a couple units planned looking specifically at American rhetoric. And so a lot of the things Amanda's talking about, because American rhetoric is a very different diction and style and tone than pretty much anywhere else in the world. Like we are very special snowflakes here in the U S and historically so. So we're going to look at a lot of different speeches, um, such as the sermons, such as the eulogies, such as JFK, asking not what your country can do, do for you, such as uh, Harvey Milk speaking, such as Cesar Chavez, women's rights. Yeah, a lot of different speeches that students are going to be able to sample from and look at what is America's story in that perspective. Yeah. It's, it's been amazing so far. And I, I'd say at the very least, if you could implement one thing from what we've shared with you guys today, it would be to try an essential question that makes the text that you have worth it. You know, whatever's in front of you, whether it's early America or some other unit that you're not always like gung ho about, 
get yourself an essential question that makes everything feel more relevant and makes even you care a little bit more about what's going on. Um, we just did our initial, you know, dip into this question today. And, and by the end of the conversation, we were talking about, okay, you guys, well, if America's story is really complicated, that's kind of what we came up with. It's complicated. That it's was complicated. our <laughs> relationship status. Um, and so I, I asked them and I said, do you guys think it's possible to, love your country, love where you're from, but still be critical about its progress or the things about it that need to be better. And they all kind of like looked at me, well, the ones who are in front of me and then the ones on the computer and they were like, well, yeah, it's, it's like any relationship that, you know, one, one kid was like, I love my mom, but I can't stand it when she does, you know, whatever. And so that moment is like, that's what teaching's about, right? Sure. I mean, that, that was totally brilliant. And I loved that my little group of angels they were angels today they were so good <laughs> you know that they they kind of walked away from class thinking okay like it's going to be okay moving forward we're going to be doing a lot of critical analysis of who we are but it's okay even one student said well that's how we grow as individuals like we have to work at what we're not good at um and so it really set a nice foundation for moving forward into these texts that are going to be challenging and bring up things that maybe America's not super proud of, but we yeah. need to talk about them and we need to be able to talk about them without fighting. Sure. And just to be able to face things and analyze them in a way that's academic, but also being true to themselves. Yeah. No, I love that. I know we have given you guys a lot today. Like we, did we derail a bit from our outline that we had jotted down before we started recording? Yeah. Not just a little really. bit, but not too bad. We wanted to give you as many ideas as possible. We will probably revisit this later on in this school year because like we said, it is evolving and developing. Amanda is a day in. I'm about a week in. And you know, if you're searching for an essential question and this one fits, you guys just use it. It's fine. <laughs> use this essential question. We have absolutely no rights to it. Take it. We're going to share as much as we can from this because we know it was a lot and we just want to kind of share, if nothing else, like how we are laying these texts side by side so you can see what it looks like that students actually work with. You can see the scaffolding in place. You can see that the actions that students are taking in synthesizing and, and putting all this stuff together. Um, so make sure that you head to bravenewteaching.com to check out those show notes. Make sure you are following us on Instagram um, individually. Amanda is at Mud and Ink Teaching. I am at the caffeinated class and then also on our Brave New Teaching Instagram. We're talking about all this kind of stuff every single day and what's going on in our classrooms. And if you have a moment, please leave us a review um, and a rating on iTunes because it helps other teachers just like you join our little brave teaching community and become one of us. And until we meet again, friends, thank you for listening. Especially if you made it all, all the way to the end, you deserve a pat on the back because that was a lot. But we can't wait to see what you guys do with this kind of stuff. And we will talk to you soon. We'll see you next time. Bye, everyone. Bye.